Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory, which is a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm going to be talking to Kai Hanno-Schwind, who is an associate professor in the School of Arts, Design and Media at Christiana University College, um, and Simone Knox, who's an associate professor of film and television at the University of Reading, about their new book, Friends, a reading of the sitcom, uh, which is published by Palgrave. So welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Uh, th- this is a, a first, uh, a podcast double act uh, recorded across Europe, um, which I'm, I'm really hopeful it works. Um, it's going going well so far by the looks of it. Um, this is a, a wonderful book. It, it's both on a kind of personal level. I'm old enough to have grown up watching this sitcom um, and seeing it treated, I guess, really very seriously, but also in you know a kind of an accessible um and, and quite knowing way uh, is, is is really great and and it prompts me i guess to start with why you decided to write the book actually and and how the writing partnership developed do you want to <laughs> do you want to uh, talk about that how, how did we get together simone i actually don't remember that how, when we, first the the idea. we met up in 2013 in london walking along the south bank and then we were talking about, you know, film and television that we are interested in. And we talked about how we both are so interested in Friends, how it's such a seminal program. And then we said, there's no book. And then we said, do you know what? If there's still no book, by the time we come to the 25-year anniversary, we'll be the ones who will write this book. Exactly. I remember now. Yeah, that's yeah, it how, how it all started. Day. Yeah. That was that. And then the other thing, of course, was, yeah, that 25th anniversary that was coming along. But it was also a, a weird sort of mix of three things. First, first of all, the realization that there was so little academic writing and scholarship on Friends. There's so much on sitcom. There's so much on all kinds of television. But somehow, uh, not very much on Friends. There are some odd, you know, articles here and there focusing on some aspects, but not the sort of holistic approach to the whole Serious, which we thought, okay, that's what it deserves. Um, Then you've got all that, you know, the the hype and the success stories and all the articles, you know, as we were leading up to the 25th anniversary that then somehow met that weird backlash uh, towards the series, which we've seen uh, emerging, yeah, maybe sort of already 10 years ago. first and foremost coming from the United States and sort of cultural journalism prevalent there, everything that was allegedly problematic with the series. Uh, You know, it's homophobic, it's transphobic, uh, there's fat shaming, all of this stuff, which we thought, yeah, there's a lot of of interesting leads there to, to explore. But we felt, okay, that it's sort of a, sort of, yeah, it goes a bit into different directions. And we thought that was one of the the, the impulses to 
to wrap that all up and to weave it together and, and yeah, to start writing the book. Yeah, and we were in a way waiting to see because we thought surely somebody will write that academic book on Friends in the meantime because we were doing other stuff at the time. But then, you know, sort of time went on and then we thought, okay, we'll put a proposal in and, and we'll write it then. I, I might sort of follow up on that actually some moment. Like, this sounds like a really stupid question for uh, people of a certain age, um, but I suppose more globally, why did Friends need an academic book? Like, what what is it about this show that that, that makes it matter? Well, I think it needed an academic book because it needed that serious in-depth treatment that you've already um, referred to there in passing. And it deserves that serious academic in-depth treatment because it's one of the most significant TV shows in the history of television, possibly the most significant. If you look at the commercial success, if you look at the critical success, it's long surpassed being a TV show as such. It's a cultural phenomenon. It's influenced um, the English language. It's influenced fashion um, with the Rachel Hairdo, for example. Um, it's become this huge franchise that includes this annual or now biannual interactive touring exhibition. There's uh, pop-up or not even pop-up cafes all over the world that l emulate the look of the coffee shop in the show. It's um, it's just become this cultural uh, phenomenon that transcends far transcends being a TV show, and um, that was both very attractive for writing about it, but also a real challenge because as we were writing the book, there were just as we were coming up to the twenty five year anniversary. It was just constantly in the news, you know, the social media engagement about the show. There's not just, you know, a, a, a good bunch of um, fan groups, for example, on Instagram or Facebook that post about it once in a while. They post about it several times per hour to this day, 25 years later. So it was a real challenge in a way to keep on top of that because there was just so much that we could have done. But ultimately, we thought what's still missing is actually the analysis of the show itself. So that's what we decided to do, and that's where we placed our emphasis. I mean, that, that's pre precisely what, what we can do with, with the podcast, I think. And, and the place to start is, is really obviously what makes it funny <laughs> and um, how is it, I guess, you know, sort of, uh, related to a much larger story about um, the kind of uh, canon of, of sitcoms, particularly actually um, what it does in unique ways and where it relates to um, things that had gone before. Um, and I suppose this this is your sort of specialist subject, Kai, but, but one way into that might be actually talking about the characters because one of the things you do in the book is it, – which works really well, I think, is use each character to talk about how theories of humor and kind of comic types work. Yeah, that's that's right. And just going back a little bit, because I actually thought that's a very good way of phrasing it, you know, that what makes it funny, which is this sort of banal and simple question that, that somehow 
very few scholars before bothered to ask. <laughs> and that was one of the things, you know, when, when we were talking about why does this deserve a, a, a holistic analysis, uh, the humor played an important part there because there, there are some references here and there to different aspects of the show's humor, very superficially referring to irony, the irony in Friends or something like that. And we thought, okay, no, this is this is so much more nuanced and, and, and there, there's got to be somehow of a, of a recipe and an approach there that Friends, the show, uh, um, succeeded in that led to that huge success, that clo- that global success. So, so this was very interesting to, to approach it. And it's exactly like you said, we started with a, a sort of a typology of, of all these characters because, of course, that's one of our uh, main claims. This is a group show. It's about these six characters uh, um, and um, that enables the sort of um, the, the comedic trajectory that the show has to touch on very different types of humor and, and humorous areas. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we have the time to go through all of them, but if we, for example, have a look at, at Chandler, which is a, a character that, especially in the beginning of the show, uh, connected a lot uh, with uh, with audiences, probably also because he, well, he, he might be the most ironic character. And in the 90s, you know, that post modern irony age uh, that that was probably uh, a huge uh, had a huge impact on on audiences but he as he stands for that for the sarcasm you know the 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 sarcastic uh comments uh, that he has uh on everything around him he's he's the commentator of the group uh but there's also a, a self-deprecating irony that he uh that he puts forth uh, that makes that a, a very successful c- comedic vehicle uh, for, for a particular type of humor, which is then coupled up with completely different uh, areas of comedy. For, for instance, in Phoebe, who represents a more absurdist and surreal approach, uh, and, and that sort of liter- literally thinking outside of the box, which is how a character is described, is also visible in her humor. And this is what we do in the book. We go through all six of them and we attach different types of, of humorous discourses, different types of humorous comedic traditions that are then woven together in that group dynamic. And this is the other realization, which is so interesting to observe in Friends, is that, yes, you have these individual uh, types of humor, but you also have a group humor. There's a group dynamic in that uh, humor uh, that uh, the draw that that the show that the show draws from almost exclusively from season two onwards. They tried in the first two seasons to base the humor a bit more on these sort of uh, pop cultural references, uh, things that were happening in the United States in the nineties. But then decided, like Marta Kaufman, one of the series creators that we interview, said, "We realized what you want is the six of them in the room." And this is exactly what also is visible in in the humor and in the comedic sensibility that the show has. It's good you mentioned in the room, and, and I think we're going to come back to spaces. Um, Simone mentioned the kind of the iconic nature um, of spaces and the you know uh, the pop up cafes that have followed Central Park and, and stuff like this. But before that, it, it might be good, Kai, if you could. Um, say a little bit maybe about the format um, or, or maybe this is more uh, Simone's specialty because um, as well as the kind of uh, 
the question of humor and, and comedy. There's also, I think, some important work in the book around the format, both in terms of that kind of multi-actor, uh, multi-camera um, um, approach, but also in terms of the dynamics of the cast together in a sitcom format. Do you want to yeah. talk about... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would just say that... Um... This kind of links to the idea of genre and how Friends fits into the genre of sitcom and multi-camera sitcom in particular. And I think one thing that's very easy to forget about Friends is actually how innovative and interesting it has been, it has, you know, what a, what a contribution it has made to the genre because it's so successful now and it has spawned so many Mm, you know, uh, I don't want to say copycats, but copycats um, over the years that it's actually really easy to not really fully see how innovative it actually was. And one of the really innovative things about Friends and the really strong, you know, one of its main strengths is that it is genuinely um, committed to its six main characters almost equally. I think we would say, and that it explores that through the storytelling, it explores that through performance and how the characters work and that, you know, how their relationships work. Yes, of course, some storylines ultimately were very much at the core of the, of the storytelling project, like Ross and Rachel, for example, but the show is genuinely interested in all of its six main characters. And I think that is one of the things that it has given to um, sitcom and multi-camera sitcom and also investing it with a commitment to seriousness and to feeling and to emotion in a way that, you know, isn't the most readily associated with, with multi-camera sitcoms, certainly until uh, Friends came along. And that was something we found very much as well in the interviews we undertook um, with a number of the key creative personnel like Marta Kaufman and Kevin S. Bright, for example, that real commitment to the humor and the comedy that Kai's already to, um, spoken to, but also to the drama and to the core emotional relationship within the show that is clearly very important uh, to what makes Friends the enduring success that it has become. And just to, to follow up on that, uh, what, what you already mentioned is that aspect about the performance, which we uh, pay a great deal of attention to, because it's very easily that multi-sitcom performance gets dismissed as a bit more, you know, farcical, superficial, classical, vaudeville type of performance, which is basically about delivering the punchlines uh, and not getting in the way of the script and that scripted sort of comedy. Uh, but what we found is that in, in particular in France and, 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 and the show also has been a sort of a blueprint for other uh, sitcoms to follow is that what we call holistic performance that the cast is, is so excellent in, in presenting because it's not just about delivering those punchlines, which, which actually is, is difficult enough <laughs> for, for comedic actors. But it's also about basing these characters in a certain type of certain kind of naturalism uh, so that we as an audience can still believe what is going on. You know, the Ross and Rachel storyline, that's, that's, that's one thing, but you actually have to sell this. 
Uh, and it was very interesting for us also to go back into a, a very detailed scene analysis and look at how exactly these actors facilitates, facilitate that type of holistic performance, which sort of oscillates between a more sort of comedic punchline delivery where you have to pay a lot of attention to that multi-camera live situation. You know, how, for example, do you deliver a punchline which is followed by a laugh, how you then have to stay in character uh, and, and continue with the performance, which then meets also these more, uh, more silent, more quiet and more naturalistic type of uh, performances, which is very interesting to see how these characters and these actors, uh, I mean, pull that off. And I don't think that uh, they have gotten enough credit for that um, or, I mean, of course, everybody acknowledges that these are sort of iconic uh, characters uh, filled out by these actors. But it was very interesting to look closer in, in, into that process, which also, I think, contributes to the success that, that Friends has had around the world. Yeah, and there's a really nice, actually, um, analysis in the book of, of some, some high-profile, extremely talented uh, guest star actors who don't quite work in the context of of the demands both of the genre but also uh, the dynamics of, of, of that core um, set of, of, of friends. I, I just want to pick up um, something that Simone had said about uh, the kind of sense of, of emotion um, that has sustained both you know, the kind of fandom um, but also was important to, to the writers. I, I was struck, um, I, I think, was Seinfeld's like kind of core line was, no hugging, no learning for um, any of the the four core characters in the show. And it is such a contrast uh, with Friends. And one of the things that the book does, uh, I think both uh, in one of the chapters that talks about the space um, of, of the set, but also actually throughout the book, is try and foreground these questions of um, emotion, intimacy, um, and, and the sense of these, you know, having exactly as Kai said, you know, something more than just uh, a life that's about delivering punchlines and making the audience laugh. And the obvious way to discuss this is Monica's apartment, which um, I think Simone, you know, we now see as one of these kind of really iconic, great spaces in the history of television uh, that's, you know, instantly sort of uh, recognizable. And yet is also a stage for a really important uh, understanding of how intimacy works on the show. Absolutely. I mean, this was one of the, in terms of the critical framework for the book, you know, we were, we kept thinking, what is it about this show? Why this show out of all the shows that are out there? Why has this engendered such an intense, committed um, viewership um, across so many viewers of different age groups, demographics, across the diff very different parts of the world. And we started formulating this uh, in relation to, first, actually, we were thinking along the lines of Raymond Williams' notion of the structure of feeling, but we actually then shifted towards framing it more explicitly as a deliberate strategy, um, however consciously intended or not by the production team. But we found that helped to encapsulate and capture that interest in by the show in producing these feelings, these feelings of warmth, of attachment, of emotional commitment to, you know, what is a multi-camera 
show. And it really, really is reflected in particularly Monica's apartment, as you as you uh, mentioned there, because Monica's apartment, it has become the most iconic TV set probably of all time. It's become the key point of reference within the creative industries itself in terms of successful set design. And that sense of intimacy really shows itself in the fact that They've worked the team working on this, which would have involved um, Kevin Bright, but also John Schaffner, the wonderful production designer and uh, set decorators and prop people, etc. They took a very deliberate um, approach to not making it look as much as that is possible, like a stage where actors come and go and have to deliver their punchlines. They've invested it with a lot of detail. Uh, some of which, m- much of which, actually, I couldn't notice really properly in the 1990s watching it on a then below average TV set. Um, but it really stands up to repeated scrutiny with um, you know digital technology over the years. So there's a lot of interest in adding detail, in managing that detail very carefully. So you know elements of the set design like, you know, scatter cushions and throws and, you know, um, plants, etc. They do get changed like they would in a, you know, real living space. But not too much because it is iconic and it is a familiar space that audiences enjoy returning to again and again. And through the use of colour, through the use of lighting, through the use of a lot of texture, this feeling of intimacy and warmth is achieved. If you look particularly at the color purple on the wall, the iconic purple, initially on the model box that John Schaffner designed for the show, the um, color on the walls was white. And then in the discussion with Kevin Bright, they decided that no, they wanted it to look different from other shows. They wanted it to be eye-catching. And the purple that they chose works very well, so Jim. John Schaffner told us, works really well for the human skin tone, white skin tones, obviously, as it's a white cast show, and is um, something that registers well on a screen. And then the lighting, they very deliberately use not this sort of the flat, indiscriminate sort of approach to lightning, uh, to lighting that... um, is often associated with a multi-camera sitcom, but which Kevin Bright in particular wanted to move against. So the lighting is much more modulated. There's a lot of practical. So you see a lot of the light sources on the screen, lots of sconces, lots of table lamps. It just gives this very cozy atmosphere um, to the show. And a lot of different textures. So we have exposed brick wall in the kitchen. We've got lots of fabrics of different kinds. We've got um, the, the floors. We've got the walls. We've got plants. We have a lot of texture for the eye. And ultimately, it creates this really inviting space that then through repeated exposure over the episodes and seasons has become so very iconic for the show and in which a lot of the key storytelling of course a lot of the key um, storylines occur within the show a lot of it happens in that space I guess you've also touched on uh, what we might think of as like the problem uh, with friends and I guess Monica's apartment is quite a nice um, segue really because some of the um, if we might think of like the kind of the economic and backlash in Friends was around the idea of, hang on, how how do they afford to live in these kinds of places 
doing the jobs they do in, you know, downtown New York, um, even uh, in the much cheaper 1990s. And that is a route into a whole range of, um, I guess, backlash against the show. Um, Simone, you also mentioned, you know, the predominantly white cast and actually race in the show is is a really serious um problem and site for struggle so it'd be interesting to pick up on i guess the kind of the backlash and um, we can do that in lots of different ways but uh, perhaps kai you, you might be able to talk about um this question of, of race and, and representation on the show this was a bit more on simone took took the lead so she could maybe explore this a bit further i maybe just as a little setup to that because because you're absolutely right that this is a has been incredibly uh, interesting to to explore friends based on that because that type of backlash in a way uh, and we can discuss if backlash is the right word here as well started already in in the 90s the show was criticized for for that you know all too white cast which uh, was seemed odd uh, if you base a show in in New York City in Manhattan a, a melting pot and uh, and and the, the the producers in in the interviews with us with us already uh, mentions that mentions that that they were aware of this even though it was based on their personal experience. Uh, Marta Kaufman and David Crane modeled the Friends cast on their personal friendship and experiences, so there was some sort of a, a bio, bio, autobiographical approach to this. But they realized eventually uh, that. Uh, more uh, representation, diverse representation was was in order. Uh, but just b- before Simone elaborates on that, um, another aspect that I found very interesting is that sort of retrofitted uh, glance that we have on the show. Also, uh, in in terms of uh, sexuality, the, the a huge aspect of the backlash was directed towards the the alleged transphobia of the character of Chandler's dad. Uh, who in the show is this weird mix of a gay man played by a woman, by Kathleen Turner, also some sort of a transvestite character. It's, it's very messy. And with with our view on that today, absolutely problematic. But here the the uh, the creators of the show said also, yes, we know we wouldn't have, we couldn't have done that today and we wouldn't also. We didn't. We just weren't aware of that at the at the time, and this is something that we have to, uh, in a way, ag- acknowledge uh, today. And this is this is this was interesting for us also writing this in 2019, looking back at this, uh, where we realized, okay, this is why can't we take this as part of the discourse uh, about friends? There, there are there are ob- obviously problematic elements here. Uh, but this is also something that tells you something about that time and how far we've come, uh, which is a very interesting and, and, and sometimes in itself not very <laughs> uh, permitted uh, opinion if, if you're facing the, the discourses of woke and political correctness in, in particular from the United States, uh, which, which made writing about those topics very interesting and and we also decide to tread very carefully and 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 give this you know a lot of scrutiny uh, to really get to to the bottom of this and and this is maybe your cue Simone to talk a bit more about these yes uh, very interesting uh, a challenge it was indeed I mean 
I think, you know, Kai, you've said this up really nicely because there is, and you mentioned earlier already that there's so many failings that the sh- that have been labeled or thrown at the show, all the isms, all the ways in which it's ideologically suspect, um, shall we say. And I would say that the issues concerning, you know, the absolute, the whiteness of the core cast, I think... Um, it, the issues around race are probably the single biggest ideological shortcoming of this program. Um, yes, it's understandable. If you think about context, we do highlight the importance of context and historical context in the book. Yes, at the time in the 90s, network TV shows tended to be pretty much a white core cast. And then non-network shows might have a black core cast. You know, that was at the time the sort of... Um, the landscape, um, but certainly um, the fact that the show became so successful for NBC after you know after each season, it just kept on building and building and building, and there there could have been and should have been more investment into bringing in more diversity, even with the core cast in place. And this is actually something that Kevin Bright also said to us in our interview with him. He said, even, you know, once you have those six actors in place, and indeed today it's very difficult to imagine um, friends with different actors cast in the roles, not that other actors couldn't have done an excellent job, but even with those six core actors in place, there could have been more diversity introduced in the show. And Friends only really moved towards that in any more meaningful way. At the end of season nine and in early season 10, when Aisha Tyler, she joined the Friends cast for, I want to say nine episodes or so in total. She joined it for a few episodes. And that was the most sustained high profile in terms of just the significance of the role, um, a presence of an actor of color on the show. And I do think they actually, you know, handled that um, quite interestingly. So Aisha Tyler has spoken about how it was an open audition call. They weren't um, looking for specifically an actor of color, but then they cast an actor of color for this part. And that leads to some really interesting moments whereby you see um, a woman of color in 1990s or early noughties um, New York experiencing a range of situations and encounters, some of which are ideologically more palatable palatable to us um, nowadays, I would think, and some of which also at the same time reveal a certain blindness, I guess, perhaps, on behalf of the production team, of the writing team, um, the production team of Friends uh, was quite uh, white. So there are some references in relation to um, Charlie Wheeler. That's the name of the um, of the of the character. There's some references to her hair that do really link up to notions around. Well, you know, it's just ideologically um, quite difficult uh, to to experience some of that today. But we do highlight, as I mentioned, the importance of context. And also we highlight the importance of tone in our analysis, because even though sometimes 
you know, some of the scripting is clumsy at best, shall we say, sometimes. There is, you know, you can't make blanket sort of accusations about how, for example, Aisha Tyler's uh, performance, you know, how her appearance was handled within the program. Because if you actually undertake that in-depth analysis of different scenes, you see that who we are encouraged to laugh at and who we are encouraged to laugh with. Those are really important questions. And they come around, they come about through a number of different factors in the case of Charlie Wheeler, particularly Aisha Tyler's performance, which does invest that character with quite a lot of comedic agency that undercuts and runs, runs counter to some of the problematic aspects of the um, script writing, I would say. I mean, there's so much we, we, we could talk about on this. Um, and I think part of the story of um, the backlash and then, you know, in some ways, the kind of defense of the backlash is, as you've mentioned, you know, Friends tells us something about the attitudes in the mid-1990s. Um, the story of how we discuss Friends now tells us something about where we are now in terms of um, the kind of the deployment um, of particular cultural objects cultural artifacts to, to kind of score score points in you know what is very much a, a sort of contemporary American uh, culture war I guess the the other thing um, you know that we really haven't touched on and we, we might do this very briefly is the sense that actually this isn't just an American show and you know as much as it's a story of six New Yorkers um, and is a story you know that um, is almost entirely focused on the States. It's got this incredible global reputation, not just in terms of uh, its fandom, but also in terms of the, the book talks about, you know, kind of uh, almost direct copies uh, that were made in Iran and in China um, and, you know, this, this kind of global influence. So I, I guess as a kind of point of conclusion, uh, maybe Kai, you, you could kind of say a little bit about uh, the global reception of, of the show. Yeah, absolutely. That that was also very interesting to to take a closer look at that sort of as we as we call it the universality of friends, uh, which is in that sort of first sort of superficial approach. Uh, yeah, okay, here's that huge American show that sort of in uh, in in the same vein of many other you know American global imperialist. Uh, culture is sort of swept around the globe and, and friends also made it made its impact there but if you look at it more closely uh, th there are elements there that that are very interesting to trace how the how that show has connected around the world and um, without going into great many details here it is again that sort of strategy of, of intimacy that uh, that the show um, yeah executes that helped it to connect with with diverse audiences as you know as as they can be from Iran via China uh, to Egypt which which were the the case uh, cases we we looked at a bit more closer also which was interesting that a lot of um interviews and and respondents that were asked about the the, the success and the appeal of friends in in those countries in particular in Egypt uh, I remember now said that here in that show there there, there is. There are friendly Americans. These, these, these are friendly Americans that sort of counteract that that image uh, that, in particular, in Middle Eastern countries, uh, was sort of propagated about the United States, which I thought was an, was an interesting uh, a twist uh, on the whole thing. 
And then in general, uh, which we also uh, scrutinize a bit more, is uh, how does a, a show like that travel around the world and what other sort of also industrial contexts does that Uh, meet for for instance in the country where I'm from Germany where friends had a, a bit more problematic uh, start because of the German dubbing uh, Germany dubs all of its programs on television and, and in the cinemas and so also friends and usually to a, a high level of expertise uh, I, I know that uh, German dubbing is ridiculed around the world Uh, but if uh, you take a close look and you realize that a lot of uh, work goes into to that uh, and the, the whole process has been perfectionized. But with friends, they sort of dropped the ball uh, and they somehow misunderstood the, the comedic sensibility and the comedic tonality of the show. And there were problems with the voice casting. And that was also very interesting to take a closer look at uh, in a way to sort of summarize also what the show means still means around the world and how the, those cultural products uh, travel around the world uh, which is also something that uh, didn't didn't receive that much scholarly intention so far there's so much more we could uh, be <laughs> yeah. discussing uh, you know we really like have just sort of scratched uh, the surface of the book and it, and it seems a bit A, a bit mean actually to kind of uh to, to wrap up with a question about what what you're working on next but that point you make about you know the kind of the potential for for scholarly attention um are either of you going to be doing more work on friends you know maybe thinking about actually uh reception political economy of production um or are you both you know um quite happy to let let, let the book go um and maybe come back to it again in 25 years Well, we have already discussed, uh, we, you know, we already discussed during the writing of the book a couple of follow-up um, ideas that we could do. Some of the things that didn't quite fit into the book um, because of, you know, there's only so many, I mean, it's already 86,000 words without bibliographies. Um, so we have some ideas for things, particularly, I think, in relation about representation that we're interested in coming back to. And also, I would say during the writing of the show, during the writing of the book on the show, we also realized some of the challenges that working on such a such a long running show with so much textual material, the kind of challenges that poses to you as the as the researcher, you know, who has a limited capacity for tracking certain kinds of information around, say, for example, performance or the use of space. So we're already at the moment in sort of very, very early discussions about potentially developing that and thinking about what methodologies we need to develop to um, to be able to engage with such a big, you know, um, beast like uh, like Friends as a as a show is. Anything anything you want to add to that, Kai? No, absolutely. Uh, and and then also all these, you know. That, the, all these aspects like, that we somehow treat like footnotes in the book. One, one for example, that I, that I was just men mentioning is, is dubbing cultures around the world. You know, how these global uh, cultural products uh, meet those local cultures and what that means and how um, these, these artifacts are somehow transformed by those processes is something that I found incredibly interesting. 
because what we tend to forget is that a, a lot of most people around the world all probably hear and perceive these shows that are so familiar to to the English speaking world in with different voices and and different meanings in a way sometimes, and I think that that is something that I really uh, want to explore more, uh, which which I'm sure we will be doing at some yes, point. I'm sure we will be. <laughs>